0: We're in the dark, we have scaffolding, we have a fire, we have an, uh, an audio board that has been completely disconnected, and other than that, we're in business. So here we go, November the 18th, because, we skipped last week, because of the ice and snow, because Cliffside can't meet if there's ice and snow, if there's darkness, if there's sunlight, if there's football, if it's a holiday, uh, I forget, what else? I, uh, huh? Oh, if it's the state fair, that's right. Fishing. Fishing, of course, and hunting. And the Super Bowl. I think I said all of that, so, but uh, all we had was icy roads, so we, we were back. Oh, wet roads, that's right. But we, uh, we managed to come back today, in spite of being in Alaska. <sighs> November the 18th, 2018, lecture discussion number 44 on the Book of Joel's. Really fast. I saw the, the beloved uh, news media, Hollywood, says uh, that they want to outlaw people in whenever something unfortunate or evil, or tragic. There's a difference between evil and tragic. I wish that people could uh, differentiate between the two. When an evil person murders innocent people, that's not a tragedy. That's an act of, of will, willful evil. Wickedness. But anyway, they want to uh, eliminate people, especially Christians, saying thoughts and prayers. Our thoughts and prayers are with the uh, inflicted. They want to eliminate that. And one, uh, one particularly, uh, I guess, prominent commentator on one of the news channels says, You think leaving it to God is the answer? He said. That, that's his question. So when you think about what is thoughts and prayers, really fast, thoughts and prayers, is it a physical act? It is not a physical act. it is a mental property. If it's a mental property, that means it originates in the spirit of humanity. If you think that there is no value in thoughts and prayers, then you're essentially saying that human beings are monistic, they're physical only, and that uh, there is no spiritual reality. That's what he means. He just doesn't know it because no one has ever taught him anything. Bless his heart. You think leaving it to God is the answer? There is no other answer. There is no physical reality. There is only a spiritual reality. The physical reality resides in the mind of God. He manifests the physical reality. It's important to know that. And that's why he says, worship me in spirit. Understand the physical and the spiritual. The physical's purpose is to manifest the spiritual. Thoughts and prayers is the manifestation of the spiritual. The origin of physical or good works, if you will, is thoughts and prayers. That's where you get good works. That's the order. Okay, stopping the rant. Start over again. For those attempting to keep score at home, the Book of Joel, which is where we are, Book of Joel, lecture number 44, contains the sign of the sun and moon. Sun and moon. That's Joel 2.10. That's Joel 2.31. That's Joel 3.15. That's Revelation 6.12. You might want to know why I put the list that I've got to do today on the board already. Because I've got two sermons here. I got last week and this week, so it's about 40 pages. It should take four hours. <laughs> One person said, yay, six people left. <laughs> but I'm just trying to cut the time down because of that. So I'm not going to write Joel 2.10, Joel 2.31, Joel 3.15, Revelation 7.12. That's for the Internet so that you'll hear it again. That is the sign of the sun and moon as it is contained in the book of Joel. And therefore, to fully understand the sign of the sun and moon, it's necessary to see the tribulational context. In the book of Joel, when he gives you the sign of the sun and moon, it is in the tribulation. The time of Jacob's trouble, Israel's persecution is what Joel is doing with his sign of the, or with his uh, raising of the sign in the sun and moon. And Joel mentions the sign of the sun and moon three times. The sun is darkened and the moon is like blood. So there's part of your sign as it applies to the tribulation. The sun is darkened and the moon is like blood. Why isn't the moon like cheese? Why isn't the sun brightened? It's not. The sun is darkened and the moon is red. Like blood, it is a blood symbol. That is the Joel sign of the sun and moon as it applies, as it is in the context of the tribulational period, the time of Israel's persecution. Now, to un- uh, unlock all of that, or the facets of the sun and moon, the sign of the sun and moon, to get that figured out first, in my most humble of humble opinions, it's incumbent to be fluent. What I mean by that, you have to be literate with respect To the Genesis fourth day sign of the sun and moon. That's the first sign of the sun and moon. That's Genesis 1, 16 through 19. Because you see, there is a revelation sign of sun and moon. And there is a Genesis sign of sun and moon. So there's two signs of sun and moon. That would be a value if you're going to try to... Work your way through it. Obviously, the Genesis 116 Sun and Moon was not concerning the nation of Israel. I hope that needs no uh, annotation. Do you know why the first sign in Genesis didn't concern Israel? That'd be helpful. There was no Israel. So if there was no Israel, what else wasn't there? There was no humanity. So obviously the first sign of the sun and moon in Genesis one hundred sixteen through one hundred nineteen was a message to who's left. It's the angels, that's all that's there, both fallen and unfallen. And, that, and you might have noticed, and they will on the internet, high internet, they will notice that I have in, injected uh, some commentary. I am saying right there that there are fallen and unfallen angels at the time of the institution of the first sign of the sun and moon. And I should say, as shocking as it may seem, not everyone agrees with me on that. I know. Let the record show gasps came from the intrepid uh, cliffside congregants. Because I have interjected the timeline for the fall of Satan in there. And not everyone sees it my way, though I'm working on them little by little. In fact, I'm working on them right now. They may not even know it. In any event, mankind and animals did not see the installment of the first sun and moon sign. Only the angelic realm did, Job 38, 4 through 7. So the first sign of the sun and moon had to be for the angels. And if I'm right, thank you, (laughs) then I have fallen and unfallen angels. That's why Brady sits in the front row. Right there, case you were wondering. Costs how much? Does it cost me a couple bucks every Sunday? It is in a good parking spot. Absolutely right. If that is true, then that forces the conclusion that the purposes of the greater and lesser lights, uh, the the impact on humanity is an after the effect. I'm sorry, after the fact. So the impact of the installment of the moon and the sun, that only affected, if you will, affected, it had a seminal effect upon the angels. The implications then flow from this, leading to ultimately uh, an analysis of the fall of Satan and the darkness upon the earth and the earth covered in water. That's where you go if you come to the conclusion, and I think it's the rightful one, you come to the conclusion that the first sign of the sun and moon was Restricted to the angelic host. Uh, to rephrase the question, what happened within the heavens or what caused, and I'm using the word caused, the first sun and moon sign? Why did God respond with the dividing, the separation of darkness from light and the uh, placing of these two Lights, the greater and lesser lights. Whenever you use causation and response, when speaking of God, that's fraught with difficulty. In fact, mostly it's done in error. And I know that, so I get to break the rules, right? The words are from a humanistic perspective. They carry a human frame of reference. We respond. You hit me with a rock. I hit you back with a bat. That's cause and response. Um, Maybe not necessarily appropriate. You hit me with a rock. That's not nice. I do have a bat. Lots of them. My point being is we respond. We are caused to respond. Um, That verifies something. That verifies where where we are. Uh, We are subject to time. God is timeless. He is outside of time. I say it all the time. Ha 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 ha. Time has no effect on Christ at all. God doesn't therefore respond. Because response is a time-based event. And that's something that the angels immediately recognized. Realized that the sign of the they realized that the sign of the Genesis sun and moon had a statement about where God is and where they are, and the difference between those that are uh, time restricted and those that are not. And those that are not is one. That's one of the purposes of the sun and moon, the first sign. God removed all dispute. Angels are constrained by time. The first sun and moon sign, the initiating of the clock, left no doubts as to the differences between the created angelic realm and the uncreated God. The fact that Jesus Christ, God himself in the flesh, is never not Timeless. He's always timeless. He can't be anything but timeless. Becomes central to the discussions, eventually, of the freedoms of the time restricted. And the angelic host got that message with the two lights. Let's put it in simpler terms. You should be suspicious whenever I say that. Contemplate the simultaneity. Of man's and angels' freedoms and God's timeless frames of observation. Put them side by side and start looking at it. I have freedom. I believe I have freedom. I think I have freedom. Therefore, I think I have existence. I think, therefore, I am. Freedom, free will, and existence, you've heard me say it thousands of times, are interconnected. If I don't have freedom, then I'm an automaton. I have to look at my freedom and compare it to God's timelessness. As that becomes incredibly important, and this is something again that is in the first sign of the sun and moon. God declares that all things are under his control, He has everything under his control, and we know that all things are under his control. He has the keys he says he is the judge of all things revelation two eighteen john five twenty two Daniel seven nine through ten revelation twenty eleven through fifteen so he tells us that he has control. But I have freedom. How is that resolved? I'm trying to make the point that the beginning of that being stated and resolved is in the first sign of the sun and moon in Genesis one. Now, because this is a this is a huge rabbit trail. I know it's not really part of the subject, but it is in Joel today. It's not part of the subject. Other than it's Joel emphasizes it. This is the Megillah rabbit. I'll never forget I heard a guy. He was a youth pastor. He had never spoke before. And he he was put in front of a large congregation, many thousands. And I happened to listen to him. And the first, he's probably 18, 19 years old. And the first thing he decided to do was a lecture on God's. Uh, omniscience and man's accountability—that was the—that's the big magilla. That's the lie of Satan. That's all of these things. Um, and so we're not going to take it on. But if I did take it on, I would start with the supposition that the solution for the question of the of the proposed impasse, because they say there's impasse here. When I say they, I mean the theologians that say that there is impasse here. They say that the omniscience, God's sovereignty and man's freedom are not reconcilable. And I don't agree with that, obviously. Uh, But they say it is. And therefore, the accountability of man and angel is put into disarray. It's put into um, uncertainty. And the Bible is the opposite of that. The Bible says there is certain judgment and certain condemnation of man and angel. And that, of course, conveys a freedom. If I have accountability, I will have freedom. If I don't have freedom, then there's implications to that. In more words, existence and will, accountability and will, condemnation and will, God's omniscience and the freedoms of of created beings are not in conflict, is not in conflict. And the solution, the answer resides in God's position being that he is the only one that is above, that is outside, that is unrestricted by time. We're restricted by time. He's not. And I submit that this is the basis of the first sign of the sun and moon. That's what he's doing here. He didn't need to put the sun there or the moon. He's light. And in Revelation, he's the only light. There is no sun. There is no moon. So the, answer, or the question becomes, why did he put them there? And I'm telling you today that eventually I'm going to try to prove to you. That it has something to do with those that are restricted by time, which is everything, and the one that is unrestricted by time. So keeping in mind the solution to sin, which is what this is, is God himself adding sinless, perfect humanity, something that Satan could not extricate. He could not solve that. And in Satan's arrogance, Satan assumed it was either an impossibility or, or God would not, interfere in the free will choosing of sin, or he would not end sin. So the love of God and the holiness of God, Genesis 15, Matthew 4, are presented as irreconcilable. God, to use the humanistic frame, would not respond. That's Satan's positioning. That's part of the lie of Satan. And you, as you know that, it constitutes the major element of the lie of Satan. Something I've previously called the fivefold lie of Satan. Do I expect you to remember a single word I've said in the last 15 minutes? No, I don't. Other than this, you should see the immediate smiles on the faces of everyone that has no idea that there's a test on Friday. Anyway, I don't think that you'll remember it. I just want you to know for today that we are captured by time. God is not. So when you're working your way through the omniscience of God and the free will of man, this seemingly impossible to resolve, placed in the, in the center of the table is God's position with respect to time. He's overhead of time. Time is beneath him. We're captured by it. Consider, therefore, the, dis- the differences in our responses and then his responses. If you are outside of time and you respond, how fast is your response? How fast would I think it was if he was responding to me? How does that affect my free will? Does a concurrent instant response diminish freedom and accountability? Obviously, no. And that may not be so obvious. The whole point, yay a point, is that this has something to do. This is the reason he puts the sun and the moon On the fourth day. And the angels, of course, being a lot smarter than us, do not think that we are smarter than angels. We will judge angels. uh, But that doesn't mean that the jury is smarter than the defendant. They saw the foundations of the earth created perfectly. They saw all of this stuff. They've seen everything. I imagine their memory structure is pretty... uh, it's the word I want, reliable. Where's the camera? I have to make sure that our advertising is sufficiently placed. Can't see it, I bet, today, can we? No. Point in all of that, yay, another point, is that uh, that is where the discussions, if you leave the sign of the sun and the moon out in the timeline of Satan and the angels out of the freedom and the accountability and the omniscience and the timelessness of God and the restriction and the captured uh, aspect of us inside of time. If you take all that away, you'll struggle with that issue, and I don't wish for that to happen. So, therefore, I brought it up here because we're in Joel, and Joel mentions this sun and moon three times. Okay, where we're really at is Mary, Martha, Martha, Mary. The Apostle John was the last one to write His gospel. That means the first three Matthew, Mark, Luke were written before John. He's the last one. Why does he wait? Just luck? Just tired? Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic gospels. Synoptic meaning to see as one. In other words, You're supposed to read them simultaneously and look at every piece all together. Matthew, Mark, and Luke center on the Galilean phase of Christ's redemptive work. If this sounds like a theology class, good, that's my plan. John focused on the Judean period. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Galilean, John, Judean. Matthew, Mark, and Luke record the parables of Christ. How many parables in the book of John? I'll help you. Zero. Obviously, he has a different plan, doesn't he? John omits all the parables. Matthew wrote for the Jews, proclaiming Jesus Christ to be the Messiah King. Mark, primarily to the Roman Gentiles. Uh, Luke, a highly educated Greek researcher and historian, he, reached, he went for the Gentiles, but obviously wherever they could be found, but certainly Greece. And John, as you know, had a different aim completely. The book of John is, a, is separated out from the synoptics, from the three. His plan was to do what? Yeah, to reveal the true identity of Jesus Christ. What's the implications of that right off the bat? John knew that there would be a problem with understanding the true identity of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit, through John, goes after this subject. And John presents seven proofs that Jesus Christ is God-man, the hypostatic union, the infinite God of creation, having added humanity, perfect, sinless humanity to himself. That is what John is going to do. That's his only goal. Singular. Makes it a fantastic uh, treatise. And in the pursuit of this purpose, John lists seven signs. And what do you ask as soon as you know that he lists seven signs? What do you ask? Why not ten? Why not thirty? Why not three? Why did John list seven? Does he have a reason? Yes, he has a reason. Is God inspired? Is the Holy Spirit leading him? Yes. But John understands why it's happening, why he's writing what he's writing. And when he gets to Revelation, then you begin to see John going, what am I writing? But not in the gospel. Holy Spirit is, is, is focusing him and leading him. Don't ever mistake that. It is inspired God's word. But in the pursuit of this purpose to reveal who Jesus Christ really is, He lists seven signs, and those are water into wine. That's his first one. The the, the royal official's son. The lame man. The feeding of the multitude. The walking on water. The blind man. And Lazarus is the seventh sign. Obvious question? Why those? How are those fitting his purpose? Would you have chosen any of these? What would you have chosen? These are the seven signs that John, of all, and he says at the very end, there are so many signs I can't even tell you about how many signs there are. But I picked these seven because these are amazing. They're spectacular. And they teach you that Christ is God himself. Each of these seven signs alone prove that Jesus Christ is God, but then when you put them when you compile them together, you get even a, a more amazing, more extraordinary proof. Each of these seven are filled with implications. Their depths are exhaustive. I hope I can prove some of that to you today. I'll keep doing it as time goes by. And, and on top of the, the the seven signs and their and the way they, Connect together and what they produce. There's also the order in which the Holy Spirit through John gave us. It even adds more evidence. The order of the seven. There's seven pieces of a whole in a specific order, in a specific sequence. And the number seven immediately will send us to where in the Bible? Pick some Pick someplace. If you said the Passover week of Exodus, of course you would. And the creation week of Genesis, absolutely. And the seven millennial ages, sure. Off you go. How many sevens are in the Bible? Bring a lunch. Every one of these signs must do what? Bring information to those sevens. So if you're studying the Passover You know, the lamb, the crucifixion week, how the Passover and the crucifixion week line up. If you have a crucifixion week that doesn't line up with the Passover of Exodus, then you don't have the right template. But those will also line up with the seven signs of John. And as you know, there's an eighth. Just in case you can't figure out, I'm going to give you seven unbelievable things, and if you can't figure that out, I'll give you an easy one. I'll give you the eight. That's what John said. And the eight is the 153 fish. And the 153 fish corresponds to the feast day of first fruits, because it's the eighth day, and first fruits is the eighth day. That's why we celebrate the resurrection of Christ on the eighth day, on the Sunday. So, the 153 fish and the resurrection. John included the 153 fish. Fish is the definitive proof, the one that brings clarity to the first seven. And we are battling through the Lazarus sign, right? That's what we're doing. That's Martha and Mary. Here's some news. That's quite a list. I don't, I, that's not even close. I left out some. I left out Luke. For Mary, the list is ridiculous, trying to get through Martha and Mary. And we're lucky to have Martha with us here today. (laughs) Where's Mary? Oh. (laughs) That tickles me so much. The people on the Internet will not know what I'm talking about this week. We'll wait for Mary to come. Only Martha came today. But... Most theologians, most Christians do not know that Mary and Martha or Martha and Mary are part of the seventh sign of John, which is the resurrection of Lazarus. They think it's about personality disorders. Martha's busybody orders everybody around Mary's the sweet one. And you're Martha. <laughs> That's what people think. That is not at all what it's about. Give John an understanding, have an understanding of the intellect of the Apostle John. He's not teaching you how to clean your house. He's teaching you about the deity of Christ. And somehow Mary and Martha, Martha Mary, do that. And I hope to make that a little bit obvious here today. I've tried to do it in the past. Sometimes I get lucky and things work. Sometimes they don't. But we're battling through the Lazarus sign. The first sign of Jonah is the seventh sign of John. Everybody got that? Lazarus is the first sign of Jonah. He's also the seventh sign of John. Inside of Lazarus, just really fast, then is Jonah. You've got to study Jonah to understand Lazarus. Jonah's very complicated, as you know, is the crimson or the scarlet worm, it's the attaches to wood, it's the poison gourd plant, it's the resurrection, it's the, uh, the Assyrian redemption, all of these things, and Jonah, the hatred he has for the Assyrians, that is a key ple- piece there. When you get Jonah figured out, then you go, okay, Jonah, I gotta move all this Jonah stuff over here to Lazarus, it's gonna show up. didn't fall down thank you the crowd erupts that my clumsiness did not result in damage again it's not a ladder I'm okay on a floor it's ladders where I struggle aha uh-huh. but you know many times there's two ways to burn out three ways to burn a house down as a contractor you know first thing you use is linseed oil or logwood we used to spray houses with logwood oil up here all the time. Of course, it turned black in two years because nobody did it right. You have to thin the first coat. Does anybody care? But the point of it is is that logwood oil has, in order to get the bind right, but it's beautiful if it's done right, but you've got to do it every six months. Otherwise, it turns black, especially on cedar. Point being is, is that you produce all of these rags that are soaked in logwood oil, which is linseed, and if you put them in a bucket, what will they do? They will burst into flames. Aha! Put that in the basement, boom, house burned down. Oh, give me the money. The other way we did it was this way. My favorite way, of course, is these stupid little curly Q fluorescent lights that screw in in your bathrooms. That if they get any moisture, they burst into flames. How do I know that? Because we have had that happen. We've stared at it going, wow, that's going to burst into flames. General Electric made that thing. Look at it go. People put them outside. What? But anyway, how would I get on that? <laughs> yeah, It is It is Jenna's fault again. But we have never intended. We, we were working on my mother's house, which was a complete disaster. And I put a drop cloth over the electric range. Because we're painting. Now, I didn't want to go down and throw that 50 amp breaker, because that's downstairs. And we had one of the flying Lorenzo's, and he leans up against it. Boom. And that thing went poof. And we're watching that go. (laughs) If we don't stop it, we don't have to do any more hardwood floor. We don't have the roof. We just blame Lorenzo. He goes to jail a little while. Not that big a deal. Uh, but we put it out because we knew that we'd get caught. Those of you on the Internet, good luck. If you could see, you can't, but the uh, light fixtures were masked off and they were set fire because somebody turned them on while they were masked off. And if they'd burn this building down, we would all be dancing outside in the parking lot instead of having service right now. That's right. You would be as a member of the elite. You would be in really good shape. (coughs) Okay. Golly. See what you do. I do pay you, that's right. Inside of the sign of Lazarus is Jonas and that huge pile of material. And Moses, my goodness, because they have Moses and Elijah. They have face cloths. They have grave clothes. Adam, Genesis 3, stones and caves and hiding and stench. And Nicodemus and Joseph, a young donkey. I keep going and going and going. That's just in the seventh sign. All the signs are that way. If you think the Mary-Martha part of the Lazarus sign is easy, then you need to just fall face first down and stop. This is incredibly complicated. You think water and wine is really simple? That That has Mary, mother of God there, trying to get him to be an organ grinding monkey. That is an incredibly complicated little thing, and I'll get into that in a minute. I could keep going and going and going just on Lazarus. All of the seven signs of the gospel of John do the same thing. Sends the real students, the actual students of the Bible, all throughout all of the Bible. It's what he did, what John did, what the Holy Spirit did through John. Water into wine, just to give you this for a minute. What is wine in the communion service? What is it the symbol of? What does it represent? Blood. Blood. If I'm in the blood, I'm into the sanctity, sanctity of Blood. So now I'm in Leviticus 17, 13 through 14. Whatever man of the children of Israel or of the strangers who dwell among you who hunts, catches any animal or bird that may be eaten, he shall pour out its blood and cover it with dust. Uh Uh-oh. Anybody that kills an animal pours out the blood and covers the blood with dust that's a levitical commandment its blood sustains its life that's what the bible says water into wine is about leviticus from dust genesis 27 eat dust genesis 314 to dust genesis 317 Cover the blood with dust. Now you're in Genesis 2 and 3 and Leviticus. And that's just to get you started on water and wine. What God is doing with water and wine. Water into wine is a Genesis 3.17 reference, which is Adam, Eve, Satan, two trees, angelic host, Ezekiel 28, Isaiah 14. That is the first sign of the seven signs that prove that Christ is God. The point is, yeah, another point. John knew it was crucial to bring Martha and Mary into the sign of Lazarus, which is the first sign of Jonah. John is going to put Martha and Mary into the sign of Lazarus, which is the sign of Jonah. Martha and Mary prove that Jesus Christ is the I am, the ancient of days, the, uh, the father God. He's Ezekiel. I'm sorry. He's Exodus three, Daniel seven, and we're attempting to figure out how it is that Martha and Mary do this. Did not have time to put up the list two weeks ago. Here it is, and it's a, it's a pile. I'm trying to remedy that today. Keep in mind when I begin listing John's elements, he has read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, so he knows everything Matthew, Mark, and Luke have said about Mary and Martha. And he adds Mary and Martha, but he puts them inside of Lazarus, becomes incredibly important. John knew what Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the Holy Spirit had done, what they had documented. So with that established, here's the list that list makers are going to do. And feel free to read along at John 11 so so the thing makes a little bit more sense. I won't write it down. That saves about a half hour. We'll just kind of go through it really fast. So you see where the list comes from. What am I trying to make you do with these kinds of lists? I'm trying to make you be a list maker when you read the Bible. Start picking things out that don't make sense. That's a fantastic place to be. Now, a certain man was sick. Lazarus of Bethany. The town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair. Luke 10. John knew that. Whose brother Lazarus was sick. So I have a sister Mary, sister of Lazarus. Underneath my Martha. Martha is a sister. I have sisters. Why does he bring that up? He wants you to know sister, sister, brother. Why? Why? Who's writing this? The Holy Spirit through God. I'm sorry, the Holy Spirit through John. How smart is John? How complicated is this? Every word. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord. Therefore the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, behold, Lord, behold. The one, he whom you love is sick. Jesus loves Lazarus. Does that make Lazarus special? How much more does Jesus love Lazarus than he loves Satan? Careful how you answer that. So why does he bring up Jesus loved Lazarus? Is there people that Jesus doesn't love? Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, He said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days. That makes lots of sense, right? In the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let's go, let us go to Judea again. See, Judean not Galilean. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you and you are going there again. Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he has the light of the world. He sees the light of the world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. What is that about? That's right. Thank you. Genesis 1, sun and moon. Light and darkness. <laughs> no one heard her say that i, I don't know what to say <laughs> that's very funny these things he said and after that he said to them our friend lazarus sleeps but i go that i may wake him lazarus sleeping the first sleeping is adam so now i'm ta- he, this is god he knows That Adam was the first to sleep and why. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death and they thought that he was speaking about taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. So. Now we're going to skip to 18. Here's the Martha section. There was some Martha there. He loved Martha. She's a sister, Lazarus' brother. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them. So find the list. Now, Mary, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. Many Jews, Martha heard, and she went. She went alone. Hopefully you can start following it. Now, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had not been here, I'm sorry, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I left off the D. I'm getting old. Time is short for more. For me, this is the 12 words. Lord, if you had been here, and I've asked you before to ask yourself yourself. Are you going to stand in front of God and say, "Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died." But even now, how's she doing? I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give to you. I made the point a couple of weeks ago. Wow. How should she have said it? But I know that your God. Stop. The separation of Christ from God and God from Christ is what? It is the condition of the Laodicean church. It is a disaster. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. I didn't put that on here. I'm just focusing on what Martha says. And Martha says, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and life. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? And she says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ. What should she have said? Yes, Lord, I believe this. She didn't say that. She said, yes, Lord. I believe. That's why I put this. Did she believe this? Did she believe that he was the resurrection? of You decide. Why didn't she say, I believe that you're the resurrection and the life? Then she leaves. Why does she leave? And she went her own way. Is that good? I put the own in there, but she went her own way. And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary her sister. So secretly she calls Mary her sister. And this is where the sister gets in trouble. Martha gets the sister in trouble. Somehow. The teacher has come. What is she calling Christ? The teacher. When you see Christ, are you going to call him the teacher? Is he a teacher? Absolutely. Is he the teacher? Yes. Does she understand the difference between teacher and holy God, almighty Father? I want to know, just looking at the language. Now, remember, John puts her in here because what is he trying to do in the sign of Lazarus? Prove that Christ is God. How does Martha prove that Christ is God? As soon as she heard that, she, uh, the teacher has come and is calling for you. We've covered that before. Did the teacher ever say, did Christ ever say, go get Mary in secret? As soon as she heard, now I'll give you the the. The basic position on this, that the reason that Martha speaks in secret, they say to Mary. When I say, when I say they, I mean the commentators that all say they, that all say this. That uh, she was trying to secretly meet with Mary so that the Jews wouldn't notice. Okay. But why, why does Mary then go out and repeat the same 12 exact words? To answer that. The teacher has come and is calling for you. There's no evidence of that. And as soon as she heard that, Mary, she arose quickly. Mary arose quickly and came to him. That's over here in the Mary thing. Mary heard, arose, and quickly came to him. If I said, you're going to rise and quickly go to Christ, where am I in the Bible? I'll fix my hair, I'm being told. Too late. (laughs) Yes. I have somebody who rises quickly and goes to him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, so the Jews saw Mary rise up quickly and go out to Christ. What am I talking about? And they followed. She went first. And they said, she's going to the tomb to weep. And when Mary came there, Jesus was, where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet. They thought she was going to the tomb. Therefore the Jews saw her, or Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the Spirit, was troubled and he said, where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see to God who is unrestricted by time. Jesus wept. Okay, so there, those are the crucial points. There's the list. Sister of Mary, sister of Lazarus, Lord behold, Jesus loved Martha. Many of the Jews joined the women. Martha heard, went alone to Christ. This Lord, if you, but even now, you God, God you, I know you'll rise on the last day. Omniscient God asked her a question: Do you believe this? Do you believe this? She didn't answer it. Secretly called Mary. Now in Luke 10:38, I don't have time to read it. Martha welcomed God, and Martha was distracted with serving. You can read it yourself, 10:38 through 41. We'll get it next week. It's on the list right here. Martha welcomes Christ. Martha is distracted with serving. I'm going to say Martha is distracted by work, by working. She's working. Lord, tell Mary to help me work. Where are we in the Bible? We're at Romans 4, 1 through 4, Romans 4 through 6. We're we're, we're now in the law of Moses. We're in how are you saved? And Christ says to her, Martha, Martha. Martha. Now, who's this saying this to her? God. He says, Martha, Martha. Why not just Martha? Why Martha, Martha? You think that's an insignificant detail from the omniscient, unconstrained by time, God of creation, Holy Spirit? It's Martha, Martha. You are worried, he says. And troubled about many things. So you're worried and troubled. Make Mary worried and troubled like me. And he says, Mary has the one thing that is needed. The good part that will never be taken away. What's he talking about? There are many people out there that say nowhere in the Bible, nowhere does Christ say that our salvation is Fixed by him. This is the eternal security discussion. There are many out there that believe that you can lose your salvation based on what? On works. Whether or not you're troubled and worried. Tell her to work like me. What does Christ say to the Pharisee who are the the most work-based system ever devised by man? It was a Pharisee. He said, woe to you, you hypocrites. You will travel the world to make a man a proselyte, and he will be twice the son of hell that you are. That's God saying that. Now, that's a paraphrase. Look it up. Matthew 25. Point being is that I, hopefully you can see the works and the grace here. Mary has the good thing. She's sitting at his feet. She's cleaning his feet. She's anointing him with oil. Martha is running around troubled and worried, thinking that her works are more valuable than Mary's belief. This is what he's doing. What, is, what does he constantly ask with regard to Lazarus? Do you believe this? Do you believe? Are you a believer? Are you going to, it's so the Jews will believe. Many Jews believe. Believe, 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 believe. Mary Martha's about belief. Again, Romans 4. One thing is needed, the good part that will never be, not be taken away. If you can learn that truth, you are freed up from heresy right off the bat. You walk into a church that says that your, your salvation depends on this elder board deciding whether or not you're working hard enough. You're in a hole. A dark, burning pit of evil. They don't know it. The good part, what would God call the good part? God's definition of good part. Does he need his feet cleaned? Does he, does he have to be anointed? A bunch of oil. He's focusing on what she believes. What is she believing when she is doing this? She's believing this. Do you believe this? Figure out what this is, and now you know what Mary believes and why that's the good part that will never be taken away. Okay, this is critical information about the seventh sign of Lazarus, who is also the first sign of Jonah. I've got to hurry up. So here's the Mary thing. I can't do it. I'm going to just skip it. Mary sat at his feet, heard his word. She had chosen the good part, which will never be taken away. That's eternal security. Lord, come and see, they said to him. Are you kidding me? That's the height of ignorance. Come and see, God. And hopefully y'all have picked up on some of the key phrases there without me prompting you. The wording, especially, I don't want to prompt you. I want you to look at it and figure it all out without me, as you know. If you get the list and you ask the questions, you'll find the answers in my view. Especially pick out the words that are given great prominence in the scripture. Remember, the Apostle John is using Mary and Martha inside his seventh sign to prove The Lazarus sign to prove the absolute deity of Christ, therefore expected to have far-reaching connectivity into the Old Testament. So ask this question, where is Martha in the Old Testament? Where's Mary in the Old Testament? And always pay attention when omniscient God asks a question. Why does omniscient God ask questions? What answer is omniscient God seeking from the people when omniscient God asks a question? Obviously I've made the answer obvious. Why did Christ say two days? Well, he's sick. He's, he, I'll wait two days, John eleven six. What's the answer? It's got something to do with 2,000 years, doesn't it, Peter? Are there not 12 hours in the day? Are there not 12 hours in the day? Yes or no? We got what? Four? Pretty soon we'll have 22 or 23? 22 explain John 11:15 I was not there it's good that I was I'm glad that I was not there what is he saying that's God is he happy yes why clearly obviously that I was not there is said to the disciples who would soon hear Mary and Martha say the same 12 words so put I'm glad and I was that I was not there because as soon as he says that Two women are coming to him, Lord, if you had been here, my mother would not have died, or my brother would not have died, sorry. So put those together, but most of you already figured that out, good for you. And you figured it out, why? Because of the fantastic list making. So the answer to why is he saying that he's glad that he was not there is because of the 12 words that Mary and Martha who he always seems to call Simeon Peter, which is another mountain of information. I'll go really fast. I've got one minute left. Are you asleep? I have zero minutes left. Thank you. Peter is in the water. He says, Lord, save me. Matthew 14, 30. He's sinking beneath the water. He cries out to Christ, Lord, save me. Who cries out to Christ, Lord, save me in the Old Testament? The Apostle John places Peter in the water. Into the fourth sign of his gospel, which is the feeding of the multitude. In other words, something about Peter and the feeding of the multitude fits together. Because that's where John puts him. And that, of course, is Numbers 11, right? You all knew that? That's where Israel is weeping all the time. Uh Uh-oh, Mary and Martha complaining the mixed multitude is fed there. They weep and the mixed multitude is fed by manna. And then God says something particularly mysterious in Numbers 11, 10 through 15. Look it up at home test on Friday. Peter's three denials, John 18, 15 through 27. He he denies to the servant girl twice, and then the servant of the high priest, the relative of Malchus. And Peter bitterly weeps. Weep, 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 weep. I've got all this weeping. You think it's just isolated, doesn't connect? That'd be a mistake. Peter cuts off the right ear. Why not the left ear of Malchus? Cuts off the right here. Why does he do that? Just happenstance? Peter left-handed. John eighteen ten. Peter's at the transfiguration. Matthew seventeen. Proposing three equal tabernacles. He's making Christ, Moses, and Elijah equal. How's he doing theologically? Peter rebukes Christ. He does. He absolutely does. Matthew sixteen twenty-one through twenty-three. And God responds, get behind me, Satan, he says to Peter. God says that you are an offense to me, God says to Peter, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Now, a lot of people think that Satan is there at the same time. But if that had been the case, Peter would know. I'm sorry, John would know that. He doesn't include it. That's an exceedingly difficult statement from God, just like Numbers 11. Peter is linked to Satan. Where's the most prominent place Satan is in the Bible? That's right, Genesis 3. If you guess Genesis 3, pat yourself on the head. He says a similar thing. To the Pharisees at Matthew 23, a tremendous rebuke of the Pharisees. Simeon Peter refuses to wash the feet of Christ, John 13, 8. Christ is laying aside his garment, and, he, and Peter says, You shall never wash my feet, which is within the context of the exposing of Judas as unclean. Simeon Peter asks John, Uh, asking John, who is the disciple that is unclean? John asking Christ, who is the disciple that is unclean? Simeon, Peter, James, and John, they're asleep at Gethsemane. The three prayers of Christ, Matthew 26, 36 through 46. Simeon, Peter, and John at the tomb of Christ, running together after being told by Mary Magdalene that the body of Christ was stolen or taken. John outran Peter. John made it to the tomb, but Peter first into the tomb, and Simeon Peter was the first to see the evidences, the grave clothes and the folded face cloth. And he had no idea what it meant. John comes in second, follows, saw and believed. One went first, one went second. Who is this? Knows, knew the scripture. Peter didn't know the scripture, 16:12 Psalm. Knew that Christ must resurrect. He knew that there was no other possibility but resurrection. Because perfect humanity cannot decompose. Lastly, for today, in case you thought I would just keep... i got two lectures here. It's not really my fault that it snowed. Simeon Peter, which is the Simeon prophecy. Simeon the Cyrenian, Simeon the brother of Joseph, uh, Simeon the prophet, Anna the prophetess. Anna's involved in this. She's part of the Simeon prophecy. Simeon Peter, all of them are there. John brings them together. I am going fishing at night, he says. How many are in the boat? He's going fishing in the dark. Is that a good plan? You live in Alaska. Why is he going fishing at night? Fish bite better at night? Some will say that. I'm going fishing at night. Seven in the boat. I'm going fishing in darkness. Caught nothing, but in the morning light, the light of the world Himself comes. Genesis one three, and He calls out to them, "Children, have you any food?" God's asking them a question. Does it? Does He mean? Does He know if they got any food? Why does He? What does He mean by food? Why does He call them children? The seven disciples. We're talking about Snow White now. The seven disciples answer, no. And then the light of the world says, cast the net on the right side and you will find. And apparently that means there is no fish on the left side. All the fish are on the right side. Matthew 25:33 There's no fish on the left side, only goats. John says to Peter at that point, "It is the Lord." John knew the scripture Psalm 16:10. John figured out the grave clothes and the folded face cloth. Peter hears from John that Christ is the Lord God of Israel. Peter puts on his outer garment upon hearing that that's God. And he jumps into the, he he removes his outer garment and he plunges into the sea. He's a hundred yards from shore. Obvious question. How deep is it? He puts his outer garment on. I'm talking about outer garments. Where am I in the Bible? Oh, my goodness. I'm back to Adam and Eve again. And I'm all over the place. I'm at the wedding feast. I've got to deal with all these garments. The six others stay in the boat. And they're towing the 153 fish in the unbroken net that they could not lift into the boat. And there's a fire on the shore, a fire of coals and fish and bread on the fire of coals. God had made a fire and he had fish and loaves, something that he had done before, John 6, at the Sea of Tiberias or the Sea of Galilee. Same thing. This is the same location where he fed the 5,000 that he now gets 153 fish. You think that's an accident. It's got something to do with the sign the seven signs it's the eighth sign so what's the purpose of the fire where do he get the coal oh please he God created fish from nothing so what's the purpose of the fire none of his disciples dared ask him who are you why is that there because obviously they wanted to ask him, Who are you? John didn't need to ask him. He said, What? That's God. The others, no, not so sure. Better not ask him. Why didn't they want to ask him? They didn't. What's implied by not wanting, by wanting to ask him but not asking him? What reminds, or I'm sorry, what remains of all of that is the three question asked of Simeon, son of Jonah. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me by the God of Israel? And then we have this amazing mystery of the death of John. Just be thankful. Remember, I started off by saying that there was, well, in September, 4,300 downloads in one website. And in. October 5,384. They do not like it when I miss a Sunday. So you had to deal with that. So take solace.